Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Hi, I want to welcome you to this class on the book of Revelation. My name is Jim Dalrymple, and I'll be looking forward to spending this semester with you. Uh, This Sunday, as we opened up into this book, one of the things that we were able to do was go around to each table and and, and somewhat in open format ask, how how are you coming to this study? What, What feelings do you have? How are you approaching this? And more often than not, I got one of two responses. One was people leaning in, very much interested uh, with the, the puzzle that is Revelation and, and curious to, to know more. But, but there's also a side uh, of people who sometimes are, are kind of finding themselves leaning back away from this book because they're confused or maybe a bit afraid. And some even have, have seen how Revelation has been used and perhaps even abused um, to strike fear in the lives of people. Now, I do know this. Revelation can either comfort us or convict us. And it really depends on how we're walking with Jesus. It can either comfort us to continue in our walk, even when times are difficult, but it can also convict us to walk more faithfully with Him when we are compromising. So, so I want this for you. I want you to see vividly behind your everyday world so that you can live victoriously in your world. That's what I want as a result of this study. Whether you are on the go and studying this or whether you are at home and studying this, I want you to make those real-world connections with this book. But but I want our purpose to not be just unlocking some secret code to unlock the future. In fact, I've kind of seen teachers and scholars at times abuse this book in that way. To sell their own book, to sell their own teachings, to sell their own radio program, Uh, You have to to access their secret tools, their secret information, the connections they've made to understand the book at all. But but I find a problem with that in in this, is that I find it a little bit disturbing if, if this class, and I don't want that, if this class becomes more about my scholarship than it does about your discipleship, then I have failed. If it becomes more about what I know than about how you respond then, then we've wasted our time. Because in reality, we want you to know two things about this. Number one, when you approach this book, when you approach this book, I want you to see Jesus more clearly. And so I want you to see Him and not me. I want you to see Him and not some secret way to unlock this. Now, there's going to be some tools to help understand this, but they're not tools that I come alone with. Here's number two. Uh, I, I want us to see Jesus more clearly. I want us to serve Him more faithfully. When we come out of this study, each time we come out of this study, I want those two things. I want to see Jesus more clearly, and I want us to serve Him more faithfully. Others have put it in a similar way. I had a teacher who once said this, I want to replace the word mysterious with the word meaningful when I read this book. And I want that true for you as well. Maybe when you come out of this, rather than mysterious, you say that, that book, Revelation, had a ton of meaning that I needed to hear during this period of time in my life. Rick actually said this, this book was not written to help us make charts, it was written to help us make choices. So, so we, will, we will look at Revelation through that lens with an emphasis on faithfulness as we walk through each of these verses. Now we open up with Revelation chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 and John writes this, the revelation, 
that word is to reveal, to make known something. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that soon must take place. Now, remember, John is writing to seven churches. They are his servants. John is his servant that that this is about. And so whatever this is that John is going to write about, he is showing it to them, revealing it to them. And these are the things that for them in their perspective are soon to take place. Now, we have the opportunity by extension to look in and listen in on what they have learned. But there were seven churches that were the first audience of John's writing, of the Holy Spirit given these visions to John. I believe this. We're going to find the number seven all over the book of Revelation. I believe that these seven churches represent are representatives of all churches and the experiences that we all have and the temptations that we all have and the, the problems in our own faithfulness that we all have. So seven literal churches that stand as representatives of each of our experiences. That's why this book is so relevant to us today. Why, why it's so easy for some to say, this book is about what's going on in the news right now. Well, yes, it is, but it was also about what was going on in the headlines of that world in their world. So John continues in chapter 1, verse 1. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness, verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads the word aloud. I want to pause right there, verse 3. There are seven different times in Revelation where we will find a blessed is statement, a beatitude statement. Notice this blessing. Blessed is the one who reads the words aloud of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, I want to say this. Um, I have three kids in my family. I have an oldest daughter whose name is Grace. Uh, we named her Grace. She's, she's 10 years old. We named her Grace because we struggled to have kids. And when we finally had a a, a child, um, and she was a girl, we knew that we wanted to name her Gift, because she was very much a gift from God. We believe that. We have a second second, uh, child. His name is Sawyer. Uh, Sawyer is our seven-year-old son. Uh, His nickname when he was younger was Sawyer the Destroyer, the Master of Disaster. And he very much fulfilled that role when he was three. Um, Now we kind of made it his like sports name that we like to call him. And I don't know that he even likes that name a whole lot now. But uh, we've tried to sell it as he wrestles and those types of things. We also have a three-year-old daughter named Eleanor, and Eleanor has proven that um, Sawyer the Destroyer was not quite as much of a destroyer as we thought. She has outgamed him in every way as a three-year-old. But here's what I know about my three kids, is that at times, as dad, I will say, are you listening to me? Do you hear what I'm saying? In fact, it happened just this morning before church. My son was uh, getting ready, and, uh, but it kind of paused and got distracted by a few things. And, and so I said, uh, son, I need you to uh, go get your hair fixed, get your shoes on, and let's get ready for church. Uh, he didn't act on what I said. So I asked the question, did you hear what I said? Are you listening to me? Now, I'm not looking for him to respond by merely saying, yes, dad, I'm listening to you, uh, but I'm not going to do anything that you say. No, I'm looking for him to act on what I have said. Well, that's exactly what's going on here in verse 3. Blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it. And blessed are those who keep or obey what is written in it. Some translations say take to heart. But that that word is very much an obey word. I'm going to act on this. So I want you to hear this. How we respond to the book of Revelation 
is more important than us unlocking some of the pieces of Revelation. Now, we want to do both, but we don't want to neglect either. So these first four verses, John sets the context, and we'll come back to them uh, toward the end of our session today. But there are some, some helpful things, helpful reminders as we get started, some tools that help us understand the book of Revelation in the same way that John's original seven churches would have understood it. What we struggle with is um, building a bridge of understanding. What we need to do is be able to understand them and their context and what they were going through a little bit more in order to understand how they would read this book so that we can therefore understand how we should not only understand it, but also apply it. So we're going to talk about three of those tools today. The first one we want to talk about is the concept of Old Testament background. We're going to talk about uh, the Old Testament and how it plays a role in the book of Revelation. Number two, we want to talk about the historic background. What was going on in Rome and in some of these cities as uh, this book was written? What was going on in John's world and in his life? And number three, as we play this out, uh, the last thing we'll talk about is understanding what is called the genre, which by the word genre, what we mean by that is the style of writing. And and we're familiar with different styles of writing and interpreting them differently. Uh, When you're flipping through the the TV stations, you see the sci-fi image in the bottom corner of your screen, and you know that you need to watch that genre of TV differently than when you flip over and it's CNN or Fox News or Take Your Pick. In the same way, when you're looking at a magazine, Time Magazine, People Magazine, Popular Mechanics, or even some of those magazines that are on the side of uh, Walmart as you check in and out. Uh, you know that there is a different genre uh, that, is, that it comes to play, and you need to interpret those differently and, and bring a different set of tools uh, to those as you understand them. Well, we're going to talk about genre in our third things. Each of these form what I'd like to call the green screen behind us and behind our understanding, or at least behind the book of Revelation. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the, the show Whose Line Is It Anyways? It's kind of dated. Uh, But there was a comedy sketch uh, on that show uh, to where one of the comedians had to stand in front of a green screen and really was unaware of what was going on behind him. And the other uh, partners in the comedy sketch would be out in the audience and they would have access to be able to see what was on the green screen. And they would try to give him or her clues as to what was going on and how to act out this scene that was behind them. One of my favorite clips, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, uh, on whose line was it anyway, is this green screen clip of one of the comedians standing in front of the green screen as lizards and iguanas and different, uh, different animals were behind him, and they would be chasing him, and they would be uh, sticking their tongues out, blown up in huge perspective, uh, eating bugs, and the whole audience would be you know, leaning back and saying, gross, uh, he would be chased by one of these lizards, and they would tell him to run, and he'd not know what he was running from. The entire time, he was oblivious to what was going on behind him. Now, some of us come to the book of Revelation that way. We really don't know the background. We don't know what's going on when it comes to the historical background or the Old Testament background or even the style of writing, the genre. And so what we do is instead of looking to the background is we look out into our headlines and we say, well, the locusts must be helicopters and this beast must be this person. In reality, John's audience already was aware of everything that was going on on the green screen. And so we need to do that kind of a study as well. These aren't secrets to unlock. They are some of the tools that are already at our disposal. So let's talk about the three of them. Um, Number one, we want to recognize that the Old Testament 
something that many of us are fairly unfamiliar with uh, when it comes to at large some of the stories, that the Old Testament forms a major backdrop to this, to this story, to this book. In fact, someone has counted it out for you. Uh, they, they would say this, nearly 278 of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation have some sort of an Old Testament connection or illusion. So around 69%, one in every one and a half verses, you're going to bump up against, you're going to bump up against something that is from the Old Testament, whether it's an Old Testament image, like a lampstand, a lamb, a bird. By the way, birds in the Old Testament are kind of scary things. Um, Oftentimes birds are symbols or signs of judgment, even in the original promise of God. God promised, if you don't obey this, birds. Birds is going to be part of that judgment. And we're going to see that here as well. Some of you are afraid of birds. Um, I I can get that from how they're used uh, in this book. Uh, But also we're going to see images like plagues. Uh, They have very much an exodus, God's people coming out of Egypt connection. We're going to see things like beasts and serpents, which we see echoes of those from the Old Testament. Or even a a seal, a a mark that someone makes on a letter uh, that shows ownership or, or on an object that shows their ownership. We're going to see images like a tree of life that brings this story back to connection. There's also at times Old Testament places or locations that have stories behind them. And we know this is true when I say in our context, uh, Las Vegas. There's, there's a story behind that uh, right now. And there, there are places in the Old Testament that had stories as well. Sodom, Gomorrah, Egypt, even places like Babylon. Babylon, a place that was packed with meaning. There are Old Testament people, people like Jezebel, Elijah, Moses, Daniel, Balaam. And at times we remember an echo of their story, or maybe like Balaam, we're unfamiliar with it in entirety, in its entirety. But in the story of Balaam, for instance, we kind of know, oh, maybe there's a donkey who doesn't talk, but what's really going on there? And, and how did the people in the first century world, John's audience, how did they understand that story? These can be some of the things that as we continue to study them will help us unlock and understand what's going on in Revelation. Again, they're not secrets to understand. Uh, We have access to them. But it reminds me a little bit of like a a zero-entry pool. Um, I don't know how you're approaching the study, where you're at in the study. Um, So I want to take just a moment and say, for some of you, I I want you to feel comfortable, feeling like you're swimming in these waters, but you need floaties. Um, I I feel like that oftentimes when when I come to God's Word. Sometimes I'm in waters and I know, okay, this water is too deep for me. I need my floaties. But I also want the zero-entry pool to get deep enough for those of you who have studied this to go, oh, I'm, I'm uncovering and learning some new things about this and my discipleship and my um, faithfulness as well. Um, so no matter how you're coming at this, I hope that you're able to pull some things out and go, this is, this is for me. And so some of you may be familiar with stories like Jezebel. For those of you not, just start to make some connections. Just start to piece some of those connections together, and I think that will be helpful for you. And every time you come at this, this is about my seventh to tenth time teaching this, every time you come, a new connection will be made, and it's kind of like building a wall, one brick at a time. You, you start building a wall, one brick at a time, and eventually the wall gets a little bit bigger and a little bit more complete, but you don't, you don't finish it. Uh, you don't finish it in, in your lifetime, oftentimes, if you're building like a cathedral. Oftentimes, it's something that you just keep going, or, or maybe the, the analogy of a deep end of a pool. Sometimes you never get to the actual uh, depth 
uh, that is possible because this book can continue to go deeper and deeper. So we recognize that the Old Testament forms this background, and, and we need to continue to grow in that knowledge of understanding that story that they were fairly well immersed in. Uh, so there is this story, um, elements like the Garden of Eden, where we'll find connections in Revelation with the Tree of Life, but also with some other imagery as well. Um, we'll find this connection of God dwelling with his people and restored creation, creation as it was meant to be from the beginning. And so sin will be dealt with, but also the promises and covenant and faithfulness of God will be brought full circle uh, and brought to fruition. Other stories that we may or may not be familiar with would be stories like the Exodus of God delivering his people out of Egypt through Moses and God speaking to them, but also bringing plagues upon the nation of Israel and especially the Pharaoh of, of Egypt uh, as warning signs to him that if he did not listen to the voice of God, that these plagues would continue to happen. And we're going to see plagues happen in this context of Revelation. And they are very much warning signs in the similar way that say we need to listen to the voice of God. But he is also bringing his people out of, again, out of a situation where they feel oppressed or put down. Uh, there is also in the Old Testament the story of the exile. Uh, both the northern kingdom of Israel and southern kingdom. After the time of David, if you're unfamiliar with the story, after the time of King David, um, Solomon was the, to follow up as the son of King David. And really after those two, the kingdom started to divide and be uh, civilly divided, or, or excuse me, north and south divided. So civil unrest between the two. And so what we find is, is that eventually they each became unfaithful to God and unfaithful to his covenants. And between the years 722 and 586 B.C., the time before Christ, uh, between those years, both the northern kingdom by Assyria and the southern kingdom by Babylon, both of them fell to these outside, again, kind of like Egypt, outside entities, outside nations, and God was, God was judging them for their compromises. They, uh, instead of being faithful to God and following His covenant and His promises and the, the covenants that they had made to Him, they had compromised, and God said that there will be plagues on you, that there will be consequences. And so exile was part of that consequence. We see stories like Daniel, where he is taken from his homeland and brought into Babylon. And as he dwells there, the question becomes, will he still be, will he still be God's person? Will, will Israel still be faithful to God even when they are in exile? Will they maintain their identity as God's people even there? And there's the story that goes along with exile, as God even promises to bring them back to the promised land, to bring them back out of exile. And that story, those two stories, Exodus and exile, there's, there's echoes of that all the way throughout Revelation. It's their story. And some of you have a story that's your story. And you have a story that has been your story, and it's something that has shaped your identity. Maybe it's you know, your parents divorced, or maybe it's a tragedy somewhere along the line. Or maybe someone rescued you, or someone provided for you in such an astounding way that it shaped your narrative, it shaped your story. This is a story that is woven through everything uh, that we see in the book of Revelation, Exodus and exile. Will God's people, as they find themselves in the, the Roman world, as they find themselves in their context, will they be faithful and will God be faithful to bring them back out into the promised land again, as he has promised? Other elements of the story that are important for us are elements like tabernacle and temple. In the Old Testament, God promised to dwell with his people, both in Eden as well as as he was establishing the nation of Israel. 
And so he gave them a tent at first in the wilderness uh, coming out of Egypt. And that tent was meant to be, that tabernacle was meant to be placed at the center of their camp. And that very much symbolized that God was supposed to be, meant to be at the center of everything they did, the center of their existence. And even now, as you travel around and listen to this, um, you, you are trying to place God at the center of all that you do, whether you're going to work, uh, whether you're taking the kids to a ball game, whether you're at home, you very much are saying, I want God to be the center, or at least this is what we hope. We, I want God to be the center of all that I do. Even the center of their community, the tabernacle represented that. God is with us. God is in our midst. And at the same time, the temple that was built a little bit later by David, King David's son Solomon, uh, the temple was again that kind of uh, a symbol, but also a reminder that God dwells within us and that our life and our nation is focused on Him. Our community is focused on Him. Now, part of our problem in this narrative is that the temple uh, of Jerusalem has been destroyed. Uh, Our narrative comes around 90 AD, 90 to 95 AD, and the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 70 AD by Rome. And so very much uh, that is an element of the story that brings into question a few things. Number one, the question is, is God still on the throne? If the temple is destroyed, is he still in control? And number two, um, is God still with us? If the symbol that represents that God dwells with his people has been destroyed, is he still with us? It's very much the same question that's asked in Ezekiel chapter 1 when the temple was destroyed there and the glory of God leaves the temple there. God reveals himself as still being on the throne and still with his people throughout that narrative. So tabernacle and temple, we'll see those threads of story throughout the book of Revelation. We'll also see this cycle, this cycle of God's people who make a covenant with God or have a covenant given by God, but they compromise. So they experience consequences, but God responds with compassion and brings them back and asks for their repentance. We will see this cycle of a narrative uh, throughout our study. Now, I want to pause and say, that's that's oftentimes our story. Uh, That's been at times my story, is that God calls us into a relationship. And at times, at different periods of our life, whether it's because of our culture and our context or because of decisions or even because of difficulty and um, problems that we face, is that at times we find ourselves compromising. But God calls back to us and asks us if we will turn back to Him. And He is a God who again responds with compassion. And so that cycle can be our cycle. And, and so we, we come to the book of Revelation very much aware that this story, God's story of His people, is the story of the book of Revelation that stands as the green screen behind the story. Uh, the second piece that we need to um, notice is the, the historical context, the background of what's going on uh, behind this, this story. Um, so some of the things that we want to look at, first of all, we want to look inside the book of Revelation to say, What is the internal evidence of the situation? What is going on inside the book that helps give us clues of of what these seven churches were dealing with? We find a clue early on in chapter 1, verse 9. John says this, I, John, your brother and your partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom. Now, notice what he says. I was your partner or I am your partner in the tribulation. So one of the things we see already in the book of John, is that tribulation was something they were experiencing. Trouble is something that they were partners in. 
So it's not something that John is projecting as off in the future. Someday Christians are going to go through tribulation. No, John says, I'm your partner in the thick of it right now. And so I'm your brother and your partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom. So notice who's on the throne. So Jesus is very much, even in the midst of tribulation, Jesus is on the throne and we're part of this. He says, I'm your brother and your partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and in the patient endurance. How do we go through tribulation while Jesus is on the throne? Through patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus. And then John says, I was on the island called Patmos. John, at this point, is exiled because of his faith. Because of, he says this in verse 9, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Because of what he believed about God and Jesus, John has been exiled to this island, and he overlooks the waters, and he looks across uh, the waters uh, toward the direction of where these seven churches and where they are. And when he sees these, when he sees these churches in his mind, he sees faces, and he knows people, and he hears names. He knows the problems they're going through, and Jesus knows their problems, and the Spirit knows their problems. He's in our midst. Internally, we see, and we're going to see this unlocked a little bit more as we walk through chapters 2 and 3 and and see the messages to the seven churches, but really two things that they are going through. Number one, some of them are feeling like they're being pushed by the world around them. They're being physically persecuted, economically persecuted, or even experiencing social pressure against their faith. They're being pushed. At the same time, others we will discover are being pulled. They're being seduced by false teaching or cultural seduction or maybe even complacency. Uh, there's the sense of where their faith no longer is, is something that, that adds fire into their life. Or maybe, maybe that word is even overspeak. Uh, it's just not something that motivates them and causes them to move in a certain direction. They're complacent. They are asleep is what we'll discover in those chapters. And so maybe this is something we need to recognize in ourselves as well, is that these seven churches and their, from this internal evidence, their experiences of being pushed or pulled can be a challenge on their faithfulness, can cause them to, to either be compromise, to compromise or to, um, to walk away from their faith in Jesus. And, and so we have that question of ourselves as well as we notice their situation. We also have some external evidence, some evidence that comes from study of either primary sources or uh, witnesses to the time of what it was like to live in Rome and what was going on during this time. So external evidence. Uh, Again, Revelation likely written around 95 AD. Uh, Again, about 70 AD is when the temple was destroyed. But during this time, Domitian was emperor in Rome. As best as we can pair the time when we believe this was written and who was on the throne in Rome, uh, it is Domitian. Uh, reminder, uh, we need, need to be reminded that many of the apostles have already died. Uh, they've either been executed or they have died. Uh, apostles like Peter and Paul, who, according to church tradition, were killed under Rome around uh, 65, 69 AD, some of the persecution under Nero uh, during that time. And, and so as we come to this, we, we discover that persecution has been at times different pockets periodically since the time of Christ, but now there seems to be kind of a growing pressure under Rome. And even with Domitian as emperor during this time, um, we're going to talk a little bit about, over the next few weeks, about some of the Roman propaganda that was fluent during this time. For instance, uh, we're going to talk about the imperial cult. And Domitian is one of the emperors who used this emperor worship 
as a way to promote others to uh, be faithful to him as the emperor. So we also find that cities like Ephesus, uh, cities that are part of these seven churches, wanted to show themselves loyal to Rome, and they were on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. And one of the ways that you did that is by building a temple or naming a city in honor of the emperor. And, and even by honoring him through worshiping him is part of what's going on in this world at this time. And so whether it's divine titles that Domitian required that people call him, or temples dedicated to his honor, or even the worship of him during different ceremonies, this was very much the world that these believers were living in. Um, these were people who, even in their social circles, had temptations to compromise their faith. Some of them were involved in trade guilds, uh, different uh, social groups or community groups, kind of like unions and yet not like unions, but community groups that would be gathered around their certain trade. And oftentimes it would be a social group that would not only gather together and, and talk about their trade, but also they would have a local deity or they would have their own kind of mascot, if you will, that they would worship and work in honor of. Well, if you were a new Christian, this would cause a problem for you. How, how do you live in these social and economic circles while at the same time staying faithful to Christ? So these are some of the things going on in the background. And again, we'll start to unpack those and continue to unpack those as they become relevant to us in our study. But we also know this. In our world, there are things that we discover um, cause us to, to compromise or to feel pressured. And, and we want to continue to draw those connections. Here's the third tool we want to talk about. We've talked about the context of the Old Testament, the context of historical background, and we want to continue to be aware of each of these. And the third one is this. We want to understand the context or the, the, um, the reality that the book of Revelation has its own style of writing or genre. So again, we, we want to come to it and ask the question, what am I reading? What is this? And, and we do that naturally. We do that when we come to different books. We do that when we come to different styles of, of writing. Uh, so what is this? John, in those verses we've already read, uh, uncovers some of that for us. He unpacks some of that. And especially for his audience, they would have picked up on these things. Uh, John, in, in Revelation 1, verse 1, says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've already mentioned that word means to reveal, to uncover. But revelation, or this word behind it, apocalyptic literature, was a very common style of writing during this time frame. Really, really fairly popular between 200 BC and 200 AD. So really a 400 year period where this was a popular style of writing. And as you read these other documents in this, this same genre, you discover things like visions and angels and conflict between angels and demons and beasts. You discover symbols and numbers and animals and colors and even Old Testament connections. You just discover songs that are written and, and sung, and you see this tendency to encourage a people group to remain faithful even when they are being oppressed by oftentimes a government that is over them. So very much this style of writing was, was something that they would be familiar with. And God is always communicating to his people in a way, in a, in a, a mechanism that is something that they're familiar with. So he writes through Paul through letters because they're familiar with letters. And he writes even the Gospels. The Holy Spirit uses the Gospel writers to write a narrative of Jesus' life in a format, in a form that they're very familiar with. Well, we're not as familiar with this style of writing as John's audience would have been. So it would not have been that surprising. But hear me on this. 
that if that style of writing oftentimes was to encourage people who were facing resistance to remain faithful, it's not surprising that God would use that very same form to communicate His message in a very similar fashion, to remain faithful even when oppression is taking place. And Revelation is going to open it up to say it's not only oppression in our daily lives on this earth, but it's also spiritual oppression. And so there are some things that are unveiled, the spiritual reality that's going on around us as well as the things we read in the headlines over and over again. Again, one of our goals, see vividly behind our world so that we can live victoriously in our world. That, that very much is a purpose behind this genre, this form of apocalyptic literature. Uh, the second thing we come across in verses 1, verses 1 through 4, as John reveals to us his style of writing or his genre, is this word prophecy. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, oftentimes when we think about prophecy, we think about someone who's forecasting events in the future. And, and that would be accurate. There are elements of prophecy uh, where that is true. But prophecy is just as much about telling what will happen in the future so that we change our behavior today. Let me rephrase that. Prophecy is oftentimes a disclosure of the present and future that demands a response today. A disclosure of the present and future. Disclosure of what's going to happen that demands a response today. Prophecy is oftentimes just as much concerned about how we will respond in faithfulness today as it is about what's going to happen tomorrow. It's similar to this um, when I tell my son, um, if you do not change your behavior, this is what consequence is going to take place. Or when I tell one of my other girls, if you do not change your behavior, this is the consequence that is going to take place. Now, I'm not prophesying the future, but I do have the ability to control a little bit of the future in my, in my family life. And, and God, in the same way, says, this is what's coming if you don't change today. And, and that really is the, the element of prophecy that I want us to understand. Similar to our, our understanding that we need to keep the words of this book is, is really in that same vein, that same context of how we need to understand the prophecies of Revelation. Yes, there are some elements of things that are for John's audience out into the future and even for us out into the future. But all of those are for the primary purpose of us understanding our situation today and remaining faithful to who God is, or even repenting and finding a place of, of faithfulness. The other element I want us to understand of prophecy is oftentimes there was a thread of hope for those who were remaining faithful. There was a thread of hope that, uh, that God would keep His promises. Third, we come across uh, in this, these first four verses, John say this, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And this is very familiar to us. It's a letter. It's an epistle. It's a letter that John is writing. This whole book is written to people that John knows. He knows faces. And I could go back to churches I grew up in. And I could go back to Mountain View Christian Church in Colorado. We drove an hour and a half to go to church. And I could name names. And I, even when I say the church's name, I see faces of people who were there growing up. Or I could talk about the church where I preached at for 10 years and ministered at. Uh, and I could say Monticello. And, and when I say that, I, I know names and I hear voices and, and I see people because when those churches represent people that I love and adore. And as John writes to these seven churches, and we're going to hear more about them, as he writes to them, I know that he has connections with people and their situations, and he wants more than anything else for them, for them to know that God is faithful, that they can endure in him, 
but he also wants them to be faithful, to continue to walk in Christ no matter their circumstances. So this is a letter to real people. And, and John, as he is in exile, is seeing this as a story that they need to hear, but also um, he is, is hoping that they respond to it. Um, as we, we come to this, we also want to recognize that uh, this is, by extension, also for us, that, that God, even today, through His Spirit, is speaking to us. And that, yes, you know, in the vein of apocalyptic literature, He wants us to know that even when we face oppression, whether it be spiritual or from the outside world, that, um, that He is with us and that we can have hope and that He will deliver us. He will bring us in, out of exodus and out of exile. But He also wants us to know that He controls the future. He knows the future and that we can have hope and that at times we need to repent. Um, but we also recognize that this is a personal letter from God to to us, by extension, all of his people, from the, the time of the cross until now, that this is his love letter to us, where Jesus calls us to be faithful and says, I am coming soon. And the response that we have is this, how will we respond to that? Will we at times see Jesus more clearly in our circumstances so that we can serve him more faithfully? My prayer for you as we go through this study uh, is that you will, either one, be comforted, that you'll be comforted in your own circumstance, that God is on the throne, that Jesus is in our midst, that the Holy Spirit is still at work, that uh, there is hope uh, in the future. Or number two, uh, that you will at times be convicted, that you'll be convicted to walk with Jesus more faithfully, uh, to come out of Babylon or come out of Rome and to not uh, be seduced by the, the culture of this world. Uh, to not be seduced by some of the false teachings, that the lies that we are given, uh, but that you'll be convicted uh, to be uh, faithful. So as we embark on the study, you'll be listening in from now on uh, with our live class. I, I want to thank you for joining us in this study. If you uh, would like access to these handouts or the handouts that we have for this class, I invite you to email me. Uh, my email at work is my last name, Dalrymple. Uh, that's spelled D-A-L-R-Y-M-P-L-E. Uh, it's dalrymple.gym at occ.edu. Uh, if you email me either with questions or request the handouts, I'd love to provide those for you and uh, make them available. And I just enjoy you to, uh, invite you to uh, enjoy as well as uh, join in on this community of learners as we embark on this study together. Blessings. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.